This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up, everybody? Ricky Whitmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And thank you guys for tuning in or listening to the Primetime Podcast here on Most Valuable Podcast here on Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for the download. Also, if you're on YouTube, thank you for the download. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, thanks for the download. If you're on YouTube, hey, guys, you can see our faces as we are trying to make this a normality, Brandon, video podcast here on the YouTube page. Stitcher, what is that? Stitcher is a, it's also a podcasting app. We've got the, someone, I can't remember who it was, tweeted at us, hey, why aren't you guys on Stitcher? We worked with the people from Blog Talk Radio, and they have now gotten us to where our podcasts are now going on to Stitcher. They should be on Stitcher, as well as iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. So just another place for the fans of MVP to listen to our great podcast. Well, that's outstanding. I had no idea what that was. You just throw these new things at me you, every once in a while. You learn something new every day, right, Brandon? Sure do. T-I-L. But today on the Primetime Podcast, we are going to... It's finally here. I mean, we waited until... You've never heard of T-I-L either. Not a chance. Another new thing you learned. Today I learned is what it stands for. But today we're talking basketball on the Primetime Podcast. Football's over. We're kind of putting it away. Not completely. We are going to talk football today as well. But... Jam-packed show. We're talking about Creighton. Big injury to one of their star players. We've got West Virginia. Can they make a deep tournament run? March Madness. Do we need to rethink the selection process or the metrics in that selection process? And then the Senior Bowl. That's a little bit of football that we are going to bring into this. But we're going to start with this Creighton Blue Jay team. And this is a team that is 18-1 right now. Their lone loss, a 10-point loss, to, at the time, the number one ranked team, the Villanova, Villanova, Hova, Wildcats. They lost 80-70, to 70, their only loss on the season. They lose a big piece. They lose their assist leader and a guy who was giving them at least almost 30 minutes a night, 13 points a game. Maurice Watson Jr. tears his ACL in the win over Xavier. Only played nine minutes in that game. Brandon, I'm going to get right into it. I'm going to ask you this. If you are Creighton... You got a guy like Watson who's not leading the team in scoring, but he's leading the team in assists. He kind of runs that offense as a big piece for you. How do you move on? How do you move on being 18-1 and one in the season? Well, you do what any coach is going to have to do with that. I, I know that every, any coach is going to have to look to the bench and say, all right, next man up, you're in. And I mean that's that's just exactly what happens. There's no there's no rhyme, there's no recipe, there's no there's no okay, well, you know how you go to the next guy who you know is going to be the 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 sixth man off the mm-hmm. bench, boom, he's in. Or you know, this is okay, you know, you're going in for this position, that's the position that you would be going for, that's the position you go into. So I mean it's it's just it's always next man up. And you know, you can never you can never know when an injury is going to hit. That's why you always have to be ready. That's why it's so important for the players to continue to to be competitive when they're playing in drills and practice, to continue weightlifting and weight training and all that stuff. And I, I think that all those things are keys to ready yourself on the bench because there are times in games like this when you're going to have to be called upon to come in and play, and that could be that could be in the first game of the season. It could be in the middle of the season right now. We're kind of right in the middle of the season, right into the meat of tournament, uh, excuse me, of conference play, or it could be in the tournament. It could be in the tournament. It could be at any time. You have to be ready. But at the same time, I think that 
you know, the coach has to also, you know, get his players to the point of, hey, injuries are a part of the game. That's what happens. You don't, I, I think as a coach, you don't want to change up anything uh, too much because, I mean, Ricky, you and I, we, we've done a little broadcasting mm-hmm. of games in our day, and we've talked to coaches. There's not a lot of change, if any, because they're going to run their same system. There may be a little bit, you know, there may be a little bit more scoring. There may be a little bit, uh, you know, more plays run against them, you know, because uh, the other team sees a, a a little weakness here or there. But for the most part, it's going to stay the same. I don't, I don't know too many coaches, not mm-hmm. too many that we've talked to, that change drastically because that's not going to do good for the well, the whole lot of good for the rest of your team. And that's exactly how I see it. This is going to be. You said it perfectly using the cliche "best man up" and. Coaches, Coach McDermott, he's not going to change his whole offense and say, you know what, scrap it, we're doing something different. He's not going, like, I don't see Creighton coming in, okay, we're going to keep the same offense, but we're going to have a different guard kind of run the offense, where it's like, you're not going to see a guy like Foster or a guy like Thomas magically run the offense because, oh, you guys have been starters this year, I trust you more. Really, in the article I'm looking at, the Fox Sports article, um, they they named two players, and one's a senior, one's a freshman, and it's really, to me, going to be pick your poison, Greg McDermott, who do you have more trust in? I'm going to assume that McDermott has more trust in the senior than the freshman, but I mean, based on the stat line, I know it's just one stat line from a game that they had to come in and kind of fill in for Watson, who was injured, but I mean, you look at the Xavier game where Watson got injured. The two players, the senior is Isaiah Zierden. He comes in, plays 11 minutes in that game, only shoots one shot, makes it, goes to the line. He gets two there, so there's, what, five points because his shot was a three-pointer. But he only has one rebound, one steal, two turnovers, two fouls. That's a guy where it's like, yeah, you made the shot, but it's like in in 31 minutes, pardon me, 31 how involved are you in the game? And may, maybe that's like, okay, give them this one game because it's a lot thrown at you in the heat of the game just after Watson gets injured. The other one is a freshman, Mintz, and he played four minutes, one for one, had two points and a foul. That's all he had. And really, it comes down to, for me, who do you have more trust in? Zeered in the senior or Mintz the freshman? That's what you got. That's what you got to pick. And right now, I think McDermott is going to pick the senior, and we're going to see a lot more of Zierden running this offense for Creighton moving forward. Well, one thing that uh, head coach for the Blue Jays, Greg McDermott, said he said, "quote There's going to be some ex- some experimentation in practice. Uh, we haven't played much without Maurice in games or in practice, so we have to tinker with some things and see what may work best. Obviously, there." will be some changes in what we do offensively because a lot of what we do and did was built around his skill set. So I think that clearly in this situation, they are going to have to change a little bit. Again, typically coaches aren't wanting to change a lot. and I, He's mm-hmm. not saying they're going to change a lot. He's saying they're going to tinker. Tinker is see what you can do that's going to really – Push the skill sets of the guys that you have in there now or of the new guy specifically and where he's going to fit best. And, I mean, it could be a rotation. 
I mean, it could be, okay, you're starting this night. All right, you're starting this night. You're starting this night. I mean, that's what it could be. Mm -hmm. Because when you don't have that guy right in there now, like Watson, I I think that that is – I think that that's really – he was the constant. He was the consistent. Consistency. Mm -hmm. And now you're going to what could be inconsistency and someone who's not constantly in there all the time. But I think that what what I think McDermott will want to get to – is having someone in there consistently because consistently because the other four guys that's what they're going to want. The other four guys on the floor that's what they're going to want to be able to do. It's so much easier when you're able to play with the same group, the same set of starters throughout the season. It just it brings the guys together, they mesh well. And if you don't have that it it, it starts to split that apart and I think that right now what uh what Creighton's going to find is they're going to find that Maurice Watson had a lot of skills, whether it was him putting the ball in the hoop, whether it was him giving it off to the guy who put it in the hoop, defensively, his passing, all of that. They're going to see exactly what they're missing in this guy. Unfortunately, he's a senior. He'll be done after this year. And that's the thing I just wanted to throw out there with Watson. It's going to be interesting to see... I'm not quite sure off the top of my head exactly if he's past the point of no return, but there have been cases in the past where I think Robbie Hummel was actually one of these situations where gets injured at a certain point in the season, actually applied to get what's called a medical gray shirt so that they could come back and play one more year. Haven't heard anything for Watson, if that's possible. That's just one thing in my head I think of is him being a senior would it be possible for him to apply to see if he can get that medical gray shirt kind of granted to him from the NCAA? If he can't, his college career is over because he is a senior. But another name that I just saw here in the article that is going to be a part of that experimentation is Tyler Clement. And I look at the box score from Xavier and I go, huh, he's not on the box score. And the reason being, Brandon, is he's only played 13 games. So to me, it's like, okay, really, it's still the answer I'm going with. I'm going to try Isaiah Zierden, try to insert him into that missing hole, into that missing kind of starter spot and see what happens. But I look at the I look at the Creighton schedule, and it's kind of a mixed bag for me of where I want to go. If I want to say, well, yeah, at least it's good that it happened at this point in the season, or if you're saying, well, no, it doesn't because the schedule ahead of them – the next game they're going to play is against Marquette, and they've got a young freshman, a 17-year-old freshman, who's really starting to kind of come onto his own. So I think that without Watson might be a tough one. Georgetown, they might be able to get past. DePaul might be a sneaky good one. But then right away, after those three, you've got Butler on the road, you got Xavier at home, and I don't care if they had Xavier games at home. Those are two tough teams to play without Maurice Watson. So whatever you do experimentation-wise, I think needs to be figured out by January 31st when you go to Butler. I think that when you look at that Butler game and that Xavier game back-to-back, I, I think that that's, that's, the, that's the thing for me, that these are back-to-back games. And, you know, again, you'd like to think that they're going to win them, mm-hmm. if you're, especially if you're a Creighton fan. But who knows? I mean, you, you beat Butler by 11. 
You beat Creighton by five. You know that. Excuse me. You beat Creighton. You beat Creighton. Beat Xavier by five. Pardon me. But I think that you look at those those two games. Those will be those will be well fought games. You look at that, and I mean, you look at uh, then later on in the season, Villanova, and that's going to be a big one. No matter where Villanova at in the rankings wise, mm-hmm. whether they be one, whether they they be seventeen. They're going to be a tough matchup. Well, and I mean, just to give you a little bit, the Xavier game, I will say, you guys can feel, Creighton fans, you can feel positive about that game because you can just say, hey, well, you know what? We beat we beat them basically without Watson once. We can beat them without Watson again because Watson only played nine minutes of that first, that first Xavier game, which he got injured in. But the game against Butler, yeah, you beat them by, what, 11 points, if I'm doing my math right, 75 and 64, that's an 11-point victory. But Watson played almost 40 minutes, played 39 minutes of that game, went 9 of 14 from the field, and scored 21 points. Like, you're not going to have that. And I don't think whoever you put in, Zierden, Mintz, or Clemente, or if you put someone else in there, or Clement, pardon me, you put one of them in there, I don't think you're going to be, boom, there's 21 points from the combination or even that one player. So... That's the game I kind of go, you better have your experimentation figured out because Butler's a really good team. And just to say you beat Butler, that's a really good notch on your resume, but you can't let things slide in these next three and then lose to Butler or else we're looking at this Creighton team as a completely different side of the coin when we turn the calendar into February. Another thing uh, to to note, Seth Greenberg said on ESPN uh, that he does not believe that the Blue Jays will be as dynamic in transition. Without Watson, a lot of people will go to the glass on them, so you could uh, certainly lose points, uh, transition points there, and uh, possibly give up transition points at the same time. So we will have to see exactly how that ends up playing out. But I think that right now, we don't know. Right now we don't know. You got to give it a couple of games. I think well, it's you give all it. You, you give it that. Well, you give. I think you give it the Marquette game, yeah. the Georgetown game, and DePaul. If they're able to get those those three games under their belt, they're able to get some wins. They're able to look okay. I think that we've probably got our answer. But if if they're they're changing out starting lineups, if they're you know really struggling against those those couple of teams, it will be very interesting when they come up against matchups like Butler and like Xavier. And in the next game, I told you guys, there is a 17-year-old freshman. His name's Marcus Howard for Marquette. Should technically be in high school still, but he's averaging, what, 22 minutes for the Marquette Eagles. So that is, even that game alone is going to be a tough game. But Creighton, to me, it's going to be interesting to see what they do to kind of go on to your point about the rebounding. If you want to just take it from the one game we have without Watson— Xavier out-rebounded them totally by 10, 43 compared to 33. They had two more defensive rebounds than Creighton and eight more offensive rebounds. And Gaston for the Musketeers had nine offensive rebounds in that game. So if that's a trend moving forward, maybe that could be, I don't want to say the knife or the nail in the coffin for the Blue Jays because it is still a long season, but they got to figure this out quickly moving forward. But before I wrap things up, anything that we missed that you feel like you need to add, 
for the Maurice Watson injury for the Creighton Blue Jays. No, I think we're good. I, I hope that uh, Creighton is able to uh, power through without him. And, uh, you know, uh, best wishes and prayers go out to the big guy. Well, you guys know what this means. This is where you guys come in. Let us know down below what you guys think of the injury. What's Creighton going to do? What would you do if you were in the shoes of head coach Greg McDermott? And how do you think this plays out for the Blue Jays? But let's move on to our next topic, Brandon. And we're going to move from the Big East to the Big 12. And we're going to look at the West Virginia Mountaineers. They lose a heartbreaker. I'm going to say a heartbreaker because no one expected them to lose this game. The Oklahoma Sooners, not the same Sooner team that they were a year ago. 8-9 and nine and 2-4 and four now in the Big 12 after winning by two in overtime against West Virginia, the number 7th team in the country. And basically, I'm just going to ask you the question that is this segment on YouTube is, can the Mountaineers... Like, going from this loss, can they still make a deep run in the tournament, or is that me overreacting? No, they can't. And I'll tell you why. Okay. I'll tell you why. Is because they I thought you were going to make an overreaction joke with, with saying that. I thought you were going to—no, they can't. And that's my overreaction. No, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being completely serious. <laughs> okay. I, I don't tell think me they why. can. I mean, tell I, me why. I, haven't, I will be honest— so let, rip me to shreds. Rip me to shreds now, okay? <laughs> I'll be honest. I have not seen a full game, mm-hmm. but I have seen the pieces. I have looked at. I have been able to look at some of the highlights. Been able to see some of the biggest pieces of the game. Plus, a Bob Huggins team doesn't change drastically year to year. It's no, the same no. concept. Oh gosh, no. <laughs> so, so go ahead and you know rip me down below, but. Let's be honest. You've lost three games already this season. Mm -hmm. You've lost certainly two games you should not have in Texas Tech and in Oklahoma. And this is this is just what I think. I I I don't think that you are really blowing anyone away. That's my whole thing. Is you you've lost to Texas Tech. You've lost to Oklahoma. Those teams were teams were not ranked. You were ranked. You were ranked high. Within the top 10. You haven't even played Kansas yet. You did beat Baylor. But Baylor. They were number one at the time. Baylor's not a number one team. You did beat them though. You did beat them. You haven't played Kansas yet. You haven't played Iowa State yet. You play them twice. You play Kansas twice. You play Oklahoma again at their place. You lost at home. They're going to get Baylor again. At Baylor. And yes, I was, I was getting down to that. Thank you. But they've got Baylor on the road. They've got Texas. Kansas I don't, State could be a tough team. I, a Bruce you Weber only team. beat Texas by two, t- by two the time before mm-hmm. at their place. This is not the West Virginia team that I am saying is going to make a big run in the tournament. Last year's team, I would have said, okay, maybe. This year's team? I'm going based off of two bad losses, mm-hmm. but they're bad losses. Well, There's no getting around it. The thing that I look at when I look at these, I'm going to look at the two bad losses that you said you're looking at. The thing that I pull out from each of them, and it's the one thing that I kind of disagree with when I was kind of looking through looking through different articles, and there were some people that are saying, well, the one thing that West Virginia doesn't need to do in order to win is they don't need to 
force a lot of turnovers. It's right here in the ESPN article. It says, and I quote, in theory, West Virginia doesn't need to force turnovers, but well, and then he goes on into it. I'm going to say this. They need to force turnovers if they want to win. Look at the Oklahoma game. How many turnovers did they force? They forced 12 turnovers. Look at the Texas Tech game. I want to say it was, what, 13 turnovers? And then you look at the Temple game, and they also had, that was 19. So they got up there a little bit. Yeah, it was 13 for Texas Tech. In the Baylor win, how many turnovers did they force in that game? 29 turnovers. That is what you need from a West Virginia team. And I don't want it to seem like I'm ragging on West Virginia, but to me, if that's what you do and you play good defense and you use your press and your trap to force turnovers, why go away from it? Why? And the one thing that, I mean, I kind of think about in my head, it's not one of those things where you go, well, this is for sure because you don't know what's going through those players' heads, but part of me goes, is it something where the intensity level was so high for that Baylor game, you were able to come out and play effective defense with the adrenaline going and the kind of your your blood's pumping because you're playing the number one team in the nation at home. But then against Oklahoma and Texas Tech, it's just eh, another Big 12 game. So I don't have to step up like I would for that number one opponent. That is something I think about in my head. It's not something that I go, well, that's for sure what played a factor because, like I said, I don't know what's going on in the West Virginia players' heads themselves. But I think that maybe that played into it a little bit. But the one thing West Virginia needs to do if they want to make a tournament run, they got to play their strong defense. If they can force, I mean, no one's going to go out there and force 30 turnovers a game, Brandon. But if they can come close to that, if they can get 20, if they can get 20 plus turnovers a night, they'll win and they'll make a deep tournament run because of their defense. But that's what they got to live on. I'll tell you what is that this this West Virginia team can be very exciting. They can be very exciting, and we've seen excitement with from them in the past. And uh, I mean, I saw excitement from them, you know, even you know last year. But I, I think that when you take a look at this team, they're sixth in overall points. Six, excuse me, eighty nine, eighty nine points, sixty three points per game that they're giving up. Mm-hmm. That's thirtieth. 38 rebounds a game. That's 106th. They also need to rebound a little bit better, I think. I think that uh, when you pair rebounding with forcing turnovers, I think those things are some things that you kind of put into one of those buckets where you look at those things kind of in the same. You got to get rebounds. You got to force turnovers. And I think for them... That's one thing that they have to be able to do. But they also have to be able to close out for these games that they mm-hmm. should win. Mm-hmm. You cannot go and beat Baylor and and look so good and then come back. And again, lose at Texas Tech. Not at this point in the season. Or lose at home against Oklahoma. This isn't one of your early games. This is your conference schedule. You can't do that. That is how I look at it. Now some people would say, Brandon, yes, it's better for them to lose now than lose later. I would not disagree, but I would say that why? But if you're losing to a team, lose to a team that's going to make you look somewhat good when it gets to the time Mm -hmm. of, oh, we're looking at resumes. Here are the bad losses. 
You know, you want your losses to mm-hmm. be okay. Oh, we well, we lost a tough one to Duke, or well, in their case, we lost a tough, tough one to Kansas. Uh, we we it was a, it was a barn burner with Baylor in that game, but we beat them. We beat but, Baylor. We but, we blew them out. Look at this. But but see, that's that's mm-hmm. the thing is instead it's going to be we lost to Texas Tech. They're still not ranked. We lost to Oklahoma. Not as good they're, as they were they're, last they're year. They're not ranked. They they don't have you know Buddy Heald. They they don't they do the not an award winner. They they do not have the man, the myth, the legend. Put put some respect on that name, Brandon. The wooden award winner. Respect, yes. <laughs> How do you sp- uh, R E S P K E C? No, it's it's a K K T. Ah, yeah, it's a K. Okay, respect. So that's what I'm looking at. That's what I'm looking at right now. As I'm because I'm looking later on. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we're, we're there. I mean, we're 13 games away from Tournament the time. regular season being kaput. Yeah, and. You have to take a look at where you're going to be in 13, 13 or so games and and look, okay, were these losses good? Were these losses bad? No losses were necessarily good, but there's a better loss than some, and that's what I'm trying to get to is the point that West Virginia, if you are going to lose a game, it mm-hmm. cannot be to those teams. You cannot lose a game to them. You cannot lose to TCU. You can't do it. You just can't. It's not going to do you any favors. And what I feel like that is what has happened to West Virginia in the past. They have had this great surge and then and then nothing. And then nothing. Well, and the thing that I think of is, and the one thing I do want to say 15 and 3 right now is West Virginia team where it's like, oh, hold the phones. They're going to be, if they keep playing like this, they're going to be in question for making the tournament. No. This is a team that most likely, no matter what happens, however it plays out, unless they lose every game, they're most likely going to make the tournament because they are a good team. The thing that I think about, though, is I flash forward to tournament time. When you are in the tournament, and I'm going to fall back on this defense thing that I've been talking about, if they can play strong defense, because to me, in the tournament, there's one thing that rules all, is shooting. If you have the hot hand that day, you're going to win that game. How many times in the tournament have we seen teams just go off, not even teams, sometimes players. Look at what Steph Curry was able to do for Davidson in the tournament because he had a few hot games. Look at Jimmer Fredette. And we've had, like, shooting performances before. Northern Iowa having key shots. I mean, look at R.J. Hunter last year with his big shot over Baylor. Shooting is important in the tournament. Whoever shoots better will more than likely win that game. But the thing that West Virginia can do is if they can play tough defense, that could knock down your opponent's shot percentage because if you're not getting turnovers, you can force them into ill-advised shots. Also, what it can do is maybe it's a game where you come out and you're not shooting well coming out of the gates. The emotions are getting to you. Well, if you're playing pressureful defense, you're forcing some turnovers. Maybe you can use that to overcome a poor shooting, a poor shooting day, poor shooting night in a tournament to maybe flip the script to get some offense going for your team. So for me, that's what I think about. If you have too many of these games now or even 
after seeing two of these games now, I look at it and go, can this team string together when the chips are on the line? Let's put it this way. First, second, 16, eight, four. Can they string together six straight wins? At this point, I would say no. However, the good thing about where we are in the schedule, there's enough time to prove me wrong. But right now, based on what I saw against Oklahoma, I don't think this team can go up against tournament-quality teams, even upset teams, like teams where it's like, oh, you should beat the number 12 team, but they're going to come in there and upset you. I don't think that West Virginia can win six straight tournament games at this point in the season. Good thing is, they got a whole rest of the season to go. We've got about, what, a good two months before we talk about the actual tournament. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I think that uh, one thing for for looking looking back on, on West Virginia is that they, they typically haven't always been that strong within their conference. In 14-15, they were 11-7 and within their conference, ended up 25-10 and overall on the season. Kansas who ended up winning uh, the Big 12, 13-5, and five, um, was, was their ending record in the conference, 27-9 and nine overall. And then West Virginia actually ended up going on a pretty nice run. They got to the Sweet 16, lost to Kentucky 78-39, but they, they beat Buffalo, they beat Maryland to get there. So they were into the tournament, but... What I'm saying is that they're not getting there this year if they lose to teams and you're like t- they lost that to. That was last year, 14-15 season. Okay. but Because I'm looking at the furthest that they've ever gone in the tournament was the 2010 tournament. And that's when they went all the way to the Final Four before losing to Duke. And I believe that was the year that Duke played Butler in the national championship in Indianapolis. They go ahead and beat Washington, or they they beat Washington in the Sweet 16. They beat Kentucky in the Elite Eight. They then lose to Duke. They do make that run, but it's like ever since, it's like, okay, you're 1-1 one one in the 2011 tournament. You lose to Gonzaga in the first round in the 2012 tournament. 13-14, you're absent. And then last year, like you said, you win the first and second round games, and then you lose to... Kentucky, And that's the thing for me. When I say can they win six straight games in the tournament, it's not necessarily, oh, can they can they beat the teams that they're most likely going to play in the first and second round? No, it's more so the teams that they're going to play in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight or, God forbid, the Final Four if they go there. But, I mean, talking Final Four right now for a team that I don't think can string six games together is a little bit too much right now. That's where I get it. If they have to play a Kentucky, a Kansas, a Duke, maybe not Duke because Duke's kind of declining, but like a Louisville, a top opponent, a Villanova, a team that is going to be a hard opponent in that Sweet 16, that regional final, regional semifinal, can they get it done? That's going to be the true test for them. Yeah, you just can't. With, with, with them, with this team, you just can't have the letdowns. You just can't have the big letdowns like that. Uh, all, the, all the, you know, the, the, the great hype around beating Baylor, the number one team in uh, the nation at that time. People were, were saying, Bob Huggins, is this coach of the year right here? And then you go and you, 
Lose to Texas Tech, and you lose to Oklahoma. Both teams, again, they're not ranked. I mean, if we're talking Oklahoma last year, it's not such a bad loss. You know, it's one of your that the one that's one of those better losses I was mm-hmm. talking about. But you know, you, you just can't you can't do that. You can't have the 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 highs and the lows like that. I mean, I understand that it's a basketball season. There's going to be things like that, but there's there's losses that are acceptable. There's losses that are unacceptable. I look at both of those as as unacceptable losses. The one guy I do want to point out for West Virginia that needs to go on a little bit of a run offensively because he's only, right now, he's only averaging almost 12 points a game. He's at 11.8 right now. But uh, Javion Carter, if I can get the name out. Javon Carter. Javon Carter. Thank you, Brandon. I'm bad with names. Carter, basically. He's got to be the guy. He had 23 points against Oklahoma in that loss. He's got to be a guy where at the end of the season, I don't want to see I don't want to see him tied with somebody else on this team at like 11 11.8 and 11.7 at the top of this team. I want to see him kind of assert himself as I'm the leading scorer on this team. And I think if he can do that, that's one thing that I think also is that Carter is also an underrated player on this team. No one takes West Virginia, I I want to say that no one takes them seriously. That's what I want to do. When it comes to the national spotlight, nobody takes them seriously. But I'm saying they should be because this team, we saw, I want to point that Baylor game out. I want to be like um, like West Virginia, like we were kind of mocking, like, oh, look at our big win here, look at them here. But they played that game. Like, that's the game where if I'm Bob Huggins, I go back to it and I go, that's our perfect game. That's our perfect game. We did everything right in that one. Good defense led to offense. We blew out the number one team in the country. Let's strive to be that every night. And if Carter can be the leader of this team and assert himself offensively and get that points per game up a little more, then I might change my opinion in two months when we get to the tournament if West Virginia can win six games in a row. One thing that I'm looking at here for West Virginia, they've got they've got four guys um, averaging ten points or more mm-hmm. per game, which is good. Uh, you'd like to see a fifth guy maybe slip in there, but four guys is is really good. But the thing I'm I mean, looking at, Myers and Phillip at eight. I mean, they're almost together. That one guy. The the thing that I'm looking at here though is the rebounds per game. Mm-hmm. Nathan Adrian six and a half rebounds per game. The next best. Issa Ahmad at four point six. Then after that, it just kind of it kind of drops off. Watkins is four point four, but after that, there's there's really nothing else. I, you have got to get better on rebounding per game. You've got to get more guys up there. Where where Adrian is right now, I I don't think that that is bad at all. I think that more guys have to join him there because the more rebounds that you get, the more opportunities you have for your scoring. And I, I think that right now it's it's just the a score here, a score there, and you look at those, you look at those two games, and it's a win for West Virginia, not a loss. Well and it's I mean I look at the Oklahoma loss and of course that's not probably it's not the game where you're like, oh I'm gonna find a stat to to fight my point. They did win the rebounding margin for every single stat. Total rebounds, they were plus three Defensive rebounds, actually, they were minus one, so they did lose that one. And then they were plus four for the offensive rebounding, 
department. The one thing I do look at is Carter had 11 rebounds, and really besides that, it was Watkins, Arians, and Phillip who came to the party to help. Ahmad, he only had two rebounds that entire game. That cannot happen if this West Virginia team wants to win, but also I think that they need to put a little bit more ownership on their defense and let that set up their offense. But, Brandon, before I do what I always do when I ask the listeners and the viewers to join the conversation, any last thoughts, anything that we missed in this conversation about West Virginia? I don't think so. Okay. I think we hit them all pretty well. This is where you guys come in. Let us know down below. Join the conversation in the comment section. If you're listening on Blog Talk Radio, join us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod. Let us know what you think about West Virginia. What do they need to do? What do you think of the two losses they have so far? What do you think of them moving forward this season? All right, now we're going to move into our next subject, Brandon. Our next topic, actually. I don't know why I said subject. That sounded weird. Our next topic, and really this one came up because as this podcast, we're recording this on Thursday this week, end of this week, I believe, maybe early next week, the college basketball, the NCAA, is going to have some people meet up, and really the topic of the meeting is going to be does – something need to happen with the metrics to the selection process? Does something need to change in order to what ratings do we go off of? How do we choose who gets selected? And right now, the main numbers of what we do is the RPI. And if you guys are unfamiliar with the RPI, it basically takes your win percentage. It goes your opponent's win percentage. It also takes your opponent's opponent's win percentage into its calculation, and we've been using this for forever. As long Since as 1981. Known, as far as I've known, as I've been alive. And Brandon, I'm basically going to throw it out there and be frank. Does this need to change? Do we need to go away from the RPI? And if so, what do we need to do for the selection process? Well, I think that with the RPI, it certainly helps with strength of schedule because you have to have some sort of tool to measure the strength of schedule. You can't have teams that don't win but maybe five games all season get in because why not? I mean, obviously that's a little goofy, but I think that when you're you're taking a look at it, you, you have to take a look at the teams. Really, I think that this is a lot for the teams on the cusp, on the on the bubble. As, as we would use in college basketball. Mm-hmm. And it's it's looking at them, who they played, who they played well, who they did not play well. That's who they, that's who, that's really what I think the RPI was made up to do. Really to affect the bubble teams. And now it stinks because there are some teams, always in everything, that get snubbed. Big word, snubbed. And it's going to continue to happen. And I think that if there's any way that they can try and rein it in, I don't really know what that would be because I I think that right now what they're doing is they're doing a pretty good job of taking a look at strength of schedule. There's the there's not too many teams, there's not too many teams. There's always those couple of teams that with well with anything that get in that you look at and go, "Eh, you know, so and so could have beat them." You know, if they would have been in, they would have done well. It's going to happen. It's a, it's a system that I don't know, is it fully fixable? I don't think it is. Can you try and make adjustments? Can you try and and try and progress each year to to make it the best that it can possibly be? Am I keeping you up? <laughs> I, I think that what you have to look at 
is at the end of the season, at the end of the year, the the committee has to go back and the group needs to go back and they the selection committee needs to look and go, all right, did we get this one right? We, we said that this one, because of these factors, how did they end up? We said no to this one because of these factors. How did they end up? If those two aren't adding up, if they're not equal, if you're not going, okay, yes, we there was a good decision on our part. It, we this is why we stuck to it. That's not adding up. You've got to change it. But if it if, if it is if it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I don't really know if it's broke. Well, and that's the thing that first off, thank you for catching the yawn there. Didn't want to yawn right into the. Uh, the old microphone there and let everyone hear my beautiful yawn. But that's the one thing I think of. The last thing you said is if it ain't broke, like why fix it? And that's what kind of Scott Van Pelt was talking about when he mentioned this on, I think it was his one big thing that he does on sports center where he looked at it and he was like, well, the RPI doesn't make sense because it takes into effect your opponent's opponent's win percentage. Why should I, why should it affect me who my opponents are playing and their win percentage? It just doesn't make sense to me. I would agree with he that. He also looked at, he looked into the, I think it's the Ken Palm system was the one that he was looking at. And this is one that is very where it goes off of, it's more about predicting. Like if me and you were supposed to play each other and I was supposed to beat you, but you beat me, it's really about, well, how much did you, like, it's it's all about the prediction of even though you beat me, what does that do? Because we're all playing, we're playing towards what was supposed to happen instead of what is happening. So that's one where it's like, what are you really doing? You've got the, the Sargon, which is basically the, it's how much do you win by? Basically, Blow people out, basically, is how you're going to be there. Then you have the BPI, which is created by ESPN. It's their own kind of power index rating. And just to give you a kind of sense of what the college basketball power index is, what it's really called for ESPN, right now the BPI leader is Villanova. The strength of schedule leader is actually Oklahoma. Like, they have the hardest strength of schedule. The... Strength of record leader, Villanova, and then the RPI leader, they throw that in at the end, is Villanova. But the top, I'll give you the top five teams in BPI right now. Let me know, actually the top four, let me know if right now these would be solid number ones for you based on the BPI. You ready? North Carolina, Duke, West Virginia, Villanova. That would be your number ones. Of course, those are going to change because, like, Duke and North Carolina would play each other in the conference tournament. If that's being the case, let's take North Carolina out and put Kentucky in. What are you thinking about those those top four? Kentucky, Duke, West Virginia, Villanova, based on the BPI. Well, they're all ranked teams. Mm-hmm. So there's number one. They're all ranked teams. But if you take a look at where's Duke? Duke's like 18, are they not? Duke is, I'm going to pull up the rankings really quick. They are right now falling all the way to 18. You're right. Okay, so Duke's at 18. Villanova currently is number one. 
West Virginia currently seven. Seven. And North Carolina, or who did you you took them out and who'd you Let, insert? Let's use if we're using North Kansas? Carolina, Kentucky. But Kentucky. Excuse North me. Carolina right. is ninth. Kentucky right now is fifth. In the and these are the AP rankings. AP the only one that I wouldn't agree with right now is Duke, but you know they just they just beat um, Louisville over the weekend. Mm-hmm. So Duke's and, always and Grayson Allen got slapped in the face, which was great. Duke's you know sometimes I think one of those teams where you know they could be right now eighteen, mm-hmm. <laughs> couple of give it a couple of weeks they'll be in the top five. So I, I think that. I don't have a problem with those teams being there right now. Now, the thing that I think needs to happen, and this is, I don't think there's one system like RPI, we're going to do just that. BPI, we're going to do just that. The Ken Palm, we're going to do just that. I think we need to take a factor of things. Maybe like, oh, the strength of schedule from this, the BPI index, just the index alone plays a little factor into it. But you got to look at the AP Top 25 what about Kansas, who's at number two? What about UCLA, who's number three? Gonzaga, who is number four? And that's why I look at like the other things that the BPI kind of takes into consideration. And if you look at the strength of record, the top strength of records right now, Villanova's number one, they're 18 and one. You've got 17 and one Baylor, then 17 and0 Gonzaga, 17 and one Kansas then Creighton, then UCLA. So it's a completely different kind of a system. I think what this committee, what the selection committee needs to do is I do think the RPI is flawed, but I do agree that it's not like it's flawed. Let's just push it out and just put something in. We need to have a plan. We don't want to get rid of it until we have a sound plan to replace it. No, you don't you don't replace you don't but you don't get rid of it. You don't get rid of it. You have to have a strength of schedule component. You just have to fix it up a little bit. I agree. I agree that well, BPI, it does that it does BPI not matter. It does not matter uh who your opponents play and what their percentage mm-hmm. is. It does not matter. You're all if you're only looking at one thing, you're doing your job wrong. You have to be looking at a number of different factors. You have to be looking at a number of different factors. So basically, yes, then sure, just get rid If the BPI is mm-hmm. everything that the RPI is except for the opponent's opponent's factor, then just get rid of the RPI. It's very simple. Yeah. You don't need to do that. But what I'm saying is that the RPI is really not as flawed, I don't think, as some people may think, you take one, you, you have one component. You have one component of your opponent's opponent's, uh, you know, record and their winning percentage. Blah blah blah. That's dumb. That is just I, I don't. That's I, I I don't know how that. As you said earlier in the segment, how that should affect mm-hmm. your opponent's opponent should affect you. It should not. So that's the only goofy thing about it. I think the rest of it is the BPI, and you have to be going by other factors. We always do, mm-hmm. always. Whenever, whenever we've come on here and we've talked about a resume and a resume, which we will do again. I can't wait for those. Can't wait for the blind resume. We always bring in a different, a different factor. Mm-hmm. Okay, their strength of schedule. All right, their big win here. Uh, bad, bad loss. Good, good win. You know, um, a number of different things. I, I think that 
honestly, it's not that it, we're not that far off from being at a pretty good spot because we are always taking different factors. Whether or not we have a name for it, uh, this is the uh, whatchamacallit factor. I mean, you don't need a name for it. Well, let me throw this question out to you then because in football, football's different because we're only picking four teams. We're not picking 60-some-odd teams and what eventually might become, ah, let's just let everybody in from what it seems while we're adding teams each and every uh, couple years. But football only has four teams. We don't have a main metric. Like, each and every year, it's we get the same story of, well, what's the committee going to look at this year? What's going to be the story of this year? This past year for football was don't have any bad losses. USC, bad loss. Penn State, bad loss. Was Washington at a loss? Wasn't a bad one. Clemson at a loss? Wasn't a bad one. Still was able to get in. In college basketball, is it because there's more teams, we need a metric system? Or could we do the selection process without a metric system? Do we need a system where it's like, this is the metric system that we are working on to seed these teams in this tournament? I think just to at least have a metric system as a, as a base for what you're doing, if you're just going off and, and saying, okay, well, this is for this one, we'll use this for this one, this for this one. If you have a one set standard metric system that you can go by and it's kind of already saying, okay, here's blah, 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 blah for this mm-hmm. team. Here's blah, 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 blah for this team. And then you're able to really look and dissect. If you don't have a metric, if you don't have a system in place, people are going to call for there to be, why is there no system in place? Mm -hmm. Why is there no system to go off of? That's what they will do. Because if there's no system, there's no uniformity, there's no, there's nothing. You need to be at least, you need to have at least some sort of system to be able to have kind kind of blanket everything and then work from there. So you don't think what we have in college football would be you wouldn't be able to get away with that in college basketball. What we have right now in football where it's a committee comes together, they sit there in the room and they just go off of they have parameters like okay, here's your record, here's the schedule you played. Okay, we're also looking at bad losses this year. Would that be able to get away? What do you think they do in college basketball, Ricky? Well, with college, they do the same thing. They just have a system in place. That's what I'm saying. Do we need a – because to me, I'm looking at like the metrics, and it's like all these things where people go, oh, but the BPI says this. But really, it's I look at the top four that I listed for you, the Villanova, the Duke, North Carolina, and West Virginia – Villanova's the only one out of that one that I would say is a one seed right now. And it has nothing to like, to me, my one seeds are Villanova, Kansas, even though Kansas likes to travel, Gonzaga, and maybe Baylor or UCLA. Pick your poison. But Baylor did have a bad loss to West Virginia. I might throw UCLA in there. So it comes down to, yes, we could like, it's this whole thing of metrics. I feel like not like this day and age, maybe it started with baseball, but now everything is metrics, metrics, metrics. We need to get analytical and get all these numbers in there. We look at the Cleveland Browns and the NFL side, bringing in a numbers guy for the analytics side. 
are we getting too crazy with metrics and analytics? And could it all come down to the fucking eye test? Just be human beings, discuss with each other, and have the eye test and still have a system that you can fall back on. That is what I have just been sitting here saying to you this entire <laughs> segment. You obviously you said it early. You can't do it in. I mean, doing mm-hmm. it in football. There's no need to do it in football. You're doing. You're picking four oh, you teams. Have four teams. I have been saying that to you this entire segment to just have a metric system that then you can you you can go. Okay, well, you know what? Here's here's what this system is telling us. It's telling us blah 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 blah. You know, Villanova, West Virginia, and whoever else you said. Okay, you know what, Villanova, we can see that. And here's some other reasons why. West Virginia, uh, we don't see that. Here's some reasons why. That's what you're doing. That's mm-hmm. what you're doing. I can't believe you. I have been sitting here telling you this is what should happen. But I, I think that that's what it needs to be. We're not being we're not being a, a metric crazy because if you were trying to pick 68 teams for the tournament based on just an eye test, it'd be hard. You'd be there. For, it wouldn't be a selection show. It'd be selection week. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. So I, that's why you have the metrics in place for college basketball. Because can you go just based off the metrics? No. Can you go off of the uh, BCS? No. That's why for them, for for football, for college football, it was just easier. It was just easier for them to go four people. Four people. A bunch of people picking four teams, much easier than having a computer Mm -hmm. doing it. For basketball, you need the metrics in place to be able to have something to go off of, at least to start. And then you bring everything else into play. That's That's how you've got to work it. That's how it has been working. I think it's working pretty well. I think it's working pretty well. I mean, the one thing I will say is with the selection committee for March Madness, I haven't had too many qualms with it. I mean, there's a few years where you get like, wow, I don't know how this team got left out. Like, wow, this team is just going to roll the NIT if they accept that invitation. But the once this is the one thing I'll leave this segment with. The one kind of analytical system that I think I just don't completely get is the Ken Palm system. And this is the one that it seems like everyone's bringing up a little bit with like third behind RPI and BPI. And this is the one that goes more towards off of the prediction, what it predicts you to do, like what it predicts the game to be. And really we're playing against a prediction rather than we are in real life. That's the one that I just, I don't get. However, the one thing I will say is my pay grade is not high enough to make these decisions about these analytical systems. But my whole thing would be like the Ken Palm one going off of predictions just doesn't seem like it makes sense to me. What do you think with that one alone where it's like, oh, this team should beat this team. Oh, well, it didn't happen like that. Instead of saying, wow, this is a good upset that happened. We're going against a prediction that didn't happen. Well, I think in a way that's what that's that's almost what what rankings are at the especially at the beginning of the season. That's mm-hmm. what rankings are at the beginning of the season. We predict we predict this team to to do this. We predict this team to be this good. Then it doesn't happen. Then they move lower and lower and lower if they continue to lose. 
They maintain their status or move higher if they win. Well, and you know me, Brandon. All talking about these analytics and stuff, it's making my brain hurt. So but you're a math I'm, guy. So, so what I'm going to do, I am a math guy, but I haven't been using the muscle up here in a long time. So it's making my brain hurt right now. Is there any last thoughts that you have before I throw it to our listeners and viewers for what they think? No, I think that's it. But I would have to say, again, thank you for listening to me for that whole segment because oh, I don't no, think you did. No problem. No problem. I, yeah. I did listen to a little bit. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Well, thank goodness. Like I said, a lot of it just right over the, right over the head. But this of is course. where you guys come in. Let us know down below what you guys think. Do we need to get rid of the RPI? Do you like any other systems, BPI, the Sargon, the Ken Palm system? What do you guys like? What do you guys think should be in and out for the selection process for March Madness? And, Brandon, we're going to move on into our last topic of the podcast. And enough with basketball, right? We are going to move on into— <laughs> After the whole time, we're like, yes, finally, basketball. <laughs> Screw it. Back to football. We're going back to football with this one. And the Senior Bowl is— Depending on if you're listening to this on Blog Talk Radio or if you're listening to it on YouTube, the Senior Bowl's a week away or a week or some away. It's January 28th is the Senior Bowl, which from right now— We're about 10 days. It's about 10 days away. It's next Saturday as we are recording this podcast on the 19th. And, Brandon, what we're doing today with the Senior Bowl, we're not looking at everybody. We're not looking at the coaching staffs, which are the Browns and the Bears are the two coaching staffs. That will be coaching this game, so these great college athletes get to work with John Fox as their guy. They get to work with John Fox to prepare them for this game. Well, half of them do, no matter whether the North or the South, whoever gets the Bears coaching staff. The other one gets Hugh Jackman, the Wolverine, to uh, work with them. But we're looking at quarterbacks in this one. And the reason why I chose this one is because today it was announced that Deshaun Watson, not going to the Senior Bowl. Thought that I don't need to go to the Senior Bowl. The guys that we have, Iowa's C.J. Beathard, Tennessee's Josh Dobbs, Chad Kelly, or as Sean calls him, Cad Shelley from Old Miss. We've got uh, Seifo Luafo from Colorado. You've got Nate Peterman from Pitt. You've got Antonio Pipkin from Tiffin, the young kind of Division two star that everyone in the comment section has been talking about in every single quarterback video that we put out. Then Seth Russell from Baylor and Davis Webb from Cal. Basically, I'm going to throw the question right, right at you first, plain and simple. Which one of these quarterbacks needs to have a good performance in this game going into the NFL draft. Well, I'd I'd like to say Chad Kelly. I think that that Chad Kelly with a really good strong performance, I think that he's going to do a lot of good things to uh, possibly boost his draft a little bit. And and Chad Kelly, I, I think that uh, he had a really nice senior season. I thought he did a, a, an absolutely great job uh, this this past year. He had some really good passing numbers. Ole Miss as a whole wasn't all that great. wasn't as great as they would have liked to have been but you look at him even in his last two seasons in his last two seasons I thought that Chad Kelly threw the football well I didn't think that he was the best quarterback in all of college football but he was certainly good and he continued to try and make case for himself each and every week so if he can come into this and really put a highlight reel together 
Chad Kelly is going to position himself very nicely in a very nice spot for the NFL draft. Well, and for me, the kind of guy that I'm looking at is I'm actually going to go on the other side of the SEC in it's going to be Joshua Dobbs because to me, Dobbs and Kelly are kind of the top two in these tier of quarterbacks that have accepted their invite to be in the senior bowl. And to me, Josh Dobbs is a guy where it's like, do you have the skills to be a quarterback at the next level? I want to say yes, but this past season at Tennessee, I just didn't see enough out of Dobbs. Like this Tennessee team, we hyped up so much in the preseason. They come out, they should have lost to Appalachian State. They played flat. I'm going to say played flat in so many games where it's like they come out and play well, but then they, like, at halftime, I don't know what happens. They kind of take their foot off the gas pedal, and they end up losing games. Like, how many times did people, it kind of came to a rivalry between me and Tennessee. Even Sean would have fun with it where, oh, look at that, Tennessee's winning. I'm like, hey, it's only the first half. Wait till the end. And then those key battles they would lose that Alabama-Tennessee game was actually great to see because Sean picked the upset in that one. You never pick against Alabama unless it was the national championship game. But the guy that I am most interested in is Antonio Pipkin. And the reason why it I'm not going to try to bullshit you guys. I have not watched a single game of Tiffin. Have not watched him at all. But after we started putting out these draft videos and we started getting comments about Antonio Pipkin, I researched him. I looked him up, who he is. I watched a little bit of film, didn't dive in completely. But this is going to be my first kind of first kind of chance to watch him play in a kind of situation where he's playing with guys he's normally not used to playing with. And that could be a good thing for Pipkin, kind of like a Carson Wentz of last year. Now, I'm not saying Pipkin's going to be the second quarterback taken off the board, but Wentz was a guy played D2, played in the FCS, and then got to play with FBS guys when he got to the senior ball. Pipkin, a D2 quarterback, can play with some FBS D1 seniors in this game, and I want to see what he can do with these guys. That's kind of a guy that... I'm kind of looking for because, like I said, getting a few comments about him, it's kind of put him on my radar a little bit. But really, to me, Josh Dobbs is the one I'm looking like. He's the guy where I'm like, I'm looking at him. And if I'm looking at the rosters, how they have it set up on the north side, it's going to be Peterman. You've got um, CJ Beathard and um, Luafu. And then on the other side, we have the three that are known for that respective side, Webb, Dobbs, and Pipkin. Chad Kelly will be there, not quite sure which side of the coin he will be on, either north or south, but who's a guy that you're kind of, it's not one that you think needs to step up, but like I said with Pipkin, a guy I'm kind of interested to see in this game, who's one that you're interested to see in it? C.J. Beathard uh, from Iowa, and I say that because you take a look Everyone remembers when Colin Cowherd said that Iowa, you know, they had a fake ID in 2015 and they didn't, you know, really belong there when they ended up getting blown out in the Rose Bowl by Stanford. Mm -hmm. And C.J. Beathard was the quarterback, the starting quarterback that season, had close to 3,000 yards, 17 touchdowns, five interceptions. And then a year later in his senior season, 
He doesn't even have 2,000 yards. He's close to 2,000 yards, but doesn't have quite 2,000. Again, 17 touchdowns, but he upped the interceptions by 5 to make it 10, 17 to 10 ratio there. So he's the guy that I'm looking looking at. What can he do? Is he able to really come out and show off some skills and show us what he's what he's made of? And I think that that's going to be uh, probably one of the bigger performances or more 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 intriguing performances that we could see. I, I mean, I talked about Chad Kelly uh, to to start things off. Kelly in his 2015 season having an outstanding season in 2016 a little bit of a fall off but but still not a not a terrible season for Bethard he's had two mediocre I will say a pretty good a pretty good and a mediocre season Mm -hmm. so I'll be interested to see what he's able to bring to the table in this senior bowl and if he's able to to make a jump make a jump come draft time just because he is not showed to be anything special. He played in every season for his mm-hmm. four years. Start. He was he was in there as a freshman, and he ended as a senior. And he was in there every single year. Ended up with over five thousand career yards, forty touchdowns, nineteen interceptions in college. Well, and the thing with Chad Kelly that is to me, he's the most interesting quarterback of this bunch because it's a weird situation where. He's going to be at the Senior Bowl, but he's not going to play in the actual game. The knee injury that he had is preventing him from playing in that actual game, but he's still going to be there. He's still going to go through everything else that a quarterback will go through that week four. So for me, looking at Chad Kelly, I think it's one of those things where this could maybe be perfect for him because it's one of those things where it's like, look at my tape. You know what I'm like on the field. You've seen what I've done in my X amount of years at Old Miss. But now you get to see me working with NFL coaches and what kind of a guy I'm going to be on the sideline. That's a question I think he needs to answer more because of his payload. Well, it's going to be interesting for him. Does his past at Clemson, the kind of scuffle that he got in there, which led him to what now we know as last chance you, which led him to Old Miss, is that going to creep up into his draft kind of interviews, even though it's so far down the line? Uh, you know, I, I think maybe. I mean, he he might get a he might get a question or two about it, but I I don't think that that's going to have a whole lot of effect on anything. I, I mean, Chad Kelly is just the guy who, when I look at him and I and I see him and I've seen what he did in college, especially the last two years, those, mm-hmm. are, those are the years that I, I think most people should be taking a look at, and and you look at him there. And you you think, man, this this guy really he can be good. He has the tools. He has the tools to be good. And I I think that you know even if he's able to do some throws out there as well. I mean, leading up to the week, mm-hmm. not the game the game itself. But I think being able to do some stuff like that show that he can stay in shape. Show that even around the injury, he's able to. You know, continue to progress. I think that how he handles himself this week is really interesting, which is why I picked him. Another player that I want to throw out there before we kind of wrap up this podcast is Luafu, the quarterback from Colorado. And the reason why I kind of want to throw him out there is he's one of those guys where it's interesting because he, to me, he's going to get some time to play because the quarterbacks that he has are Peterman, 
from Pitt and Bethard from Iowa. Those are the two quarterbacks that are on his team. So it's Lafu, Peterman, and Bethard. If I'm looking at those three quarterbacks, although we don't know who is going to actually start, I'm saying that I would for sure put my money on Luafu starting over Bethard for the North in the Senior Bowl. So that means we could get to see a lot out of him in this game, and I want to see a lot out of him. And the reason being is the last time I saw him go up against Washington in the Pac-12 title game, he gets injured in the first half. The backup comes in, plays well, doesn't let the game get out of hand, but then they go back to him in that second half, and he starts the second half off with two straight pick sixes to the same Washington Husky player, which really just put the game on ice. Like, the game was over at that point. The Buffalo were not getting back into that game. So he's another one where... To me, the three that I, like, Dobbs has to perform well for me. And then Pipkin, I just want to see him and just be able to see him for the first time. But Luafu is one of those ones where it's like, you left a bad taste in my mouth. Maybe not you. I put the blame more on the coaching staff from Colorado because I I thought that, A, shouldn't have came back in that game. You shouldn't have risked that game, which what it was, because it was like a 10-7 game Going into half, boom, boom, two pick sixes, you're out of that game. I think even after the first pick six, they should have said, no, get out of here. You're, you're out. We, we need to win this game. But instead, they kept him in, and we all know what happened as the story has been written. So he's another one that I kind of want to look at, and he's going to have someone, he's going to have one of his um his guys there with him in uh, – a woozy being on the defensive side, though, but we'll have some teammates on that north side. Brandon, is there anything with the Senior Bowl, with these quarterbacks, even with the Senior Bowl in general, that you want to hit before we end this podcast and I throw it to the listeners and the viewers? No, I think we're good. Oh, the one thing I did forget, though, we do it on every podcast. I got to do it right now. What are your final thoughts, big guy? Uh, So final thoughts. Coming up this weekend, we've got some fun, exciting football games. Can't wait. We've got the Patriots and the Steelers. We've got the Packers and the Falcons. And I just want to say this. Ricky, uh, you and I did a radio show this week. Mm -hmm. Uh, You came on. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. It's a great time. And one of the things I said is I said that the Green Bay Packers are not good. They are just lucky. I give so much credit to Aaron Rodgers. I think that he's a great quarterback, an absolutely great quarterback. Team in general, lucky, not good. They'll lose this week. Falcons go on to the Super Bowl and ha, Green Bay, you suck. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know down below what you guys think about the Senior Bowl. Anything we talked about today, if you're listening on Blog Talk Radio, let us know on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod what you thought of the podcast, what you thought about anything we touched today. Make sure to follow us personally on Twitter. I'm at Ricky Woodmer. He is at young underscore swan 19. want to thank you guys for watching and listening. Also, make sure to check out that Patreon page, patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast. I'm going to stop my rambling now. We'll see you guys tomorrow. But as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.